The Gilded Age, A Tale of Today. That was a famous satirical novel by Mark Twain set in the late 1800s. And soon, that term took off. The Gilded Age came to define the tumultuous years between the Civil War and the turn of the 20th century. In fact, it's an era that is not only sarcastic in its title, but one that can't be clearly defined by dates. We don't have a hard start date nor a hard end date, but we just know it as this time period between the Civil War and the turn of the 20th century. During this era, America became more prosperous. It saw unprecedented growth in areas like industry and technology. But the Gilded Age had a more sinister side. It was a period where greedy, corrupt industrialists, bankers, politicians, all enjoyed extraordinary wealth, power, and opulence at the expense of America's emerging working class. In fact, it was not wealthy tycoons, not politicians who inconspicuously held the most power during the Gilded Age, but as we will later come to find out, it was, in fact, the American people. Welcome to Print the Legend, a series of podcasts outlining American history, the stories that made up America, and the stories that America made up. I'm your host, Mr. Nasosi, and I'm glad to bring you along on this journey for what's going to be an exciting time as we look into our own past and our own future. From the ashes of the American Civil War sprung an economic powerhouse. What the United States did in 50 years, Europe could not do in 150 years. Factories being built by the dozens. These same factories at one time, the Union used to defeat the Confederacy, weren't shut down at war's end. In fact, they increased twofold. And now that the fighting was done, Reconstruction, for all intents and purposes, was over, these factories were converted to peacetime purposes. And although industry had existed prior to the war, we often talk about the antebellum period being this time of the market revolution, we see that agriculture represented the most significant portion of the American economy. In fact, up through the American Revolution to the Civil War, a Jeffersonian slash Jacksonian agrarian society of small independent farms was what dotted the American landscape. It took five years of a civil war and a time period of reconstruction to convert the United States from an agrarian, independent democratic society to one that was capitalistic, national, and full of industry and urbanization. After the war, beginning with the railroads, small businesses started to grow larger and larger. And by centuries in, the nation's economy was dominated by a few very powerful individuals. In 1850, most Americans worked for themselves. By 1900, most Americans worked for someone else.
On May 10, 1869, a jubilant celebration is underway. The rails of the Central Pacific and Union Pacific Railroads are finally connected with one golden spike. The Transcontinental Railway is finished and the point at Promontory in Utah. America by rail was truly a country that was sea to shining sea. Locomotive was not an invention of the Gilded Age. Indeed, Americans have been traveling by rail for decades that preceded the Civil War, but it was risky travel. Passengers often sat in the same room as a wood burner, and they had to be watchful of wayward sparks landing on their lavish clothing, and braking systems were not always trustworthy. Several engines exploded while even trying to reach their destination. But after the Civil War, many rail problems were solved. George Westinghouse invented the air brake and trains could stop more reliably. The Pullman Car Company produced sleeper cars and dining cars to make travel much more comfortable. So once this transcontinental railroad allowed for settlement in the West and opened new markets to Eastern manufacturers, the Democratic journalist John L. O'Sullivan, coining the phrase Manifest Destiny, came to light. But like with any great success, there comes greed. The freight railroad abuses began to grow rampant. Money lined the pockets of these greedy political officials and public officials who awarded generous terms to the railroads, leaving out the farmers. Railroad companies set their own shipping rates and sometimes it was very, very expensive for a small farmer to ship their goods to a nearby town or to a faraway city. To reduce this competition, railroad companies established what they called pools. These were informal arrangements between companies to keep rates above a certain level. Well, finally, the public started to feel the effects of this monopolized system. And so finally, in 1887, Congress responded to the public outcry, and they created the Interstate Commerce Commission, the ICC. This was the lifeguard sitting over the pool of the rail industry. This was, in fact, the nation's first regulatory agency, which begins the debate that we have in our class with regards to how much government intervention should there be in private industry. The ICC and its rulings were largely ignored, though, until the 20th century because of the continued power of the tycoons. But as the public also reaped the benefits of the railroads, eastern businessmen could now travel to California for business. People could move west at a much quicker rate. This improved transportation system allowed more access for goods at cheaper prices. And so the ideals of Manifest Destiny, the idea of going west to the wild, wild west, was exacerbated twofold. In fact, railroads began to become romanticized. Children began asking for toy trains for Christmas. 
kids would play train conductors outside their house. So we cannot begin the Industrial Revolution. We cannot discuss the Gilded Age unless we lay everything on the track, the literal and metaphorical track that is the railroads. The nation was now bound together by this web of steel filled with oiled trains as they now reap the benefits of a new era. As we journey together through this time period of the Gilded Age, let's say that the Gilded Age is the most. M-O-S-T. This very simple acronym will allow us to see that the four titans, or captains of industry, helped to build and maintain this time period. We just discussed the trains. That is the T in the most. But the M-O and the S had to come a bit later. We had to have banking with money. We had to have oil, both in the machinery and in the trains. And the trains themselves had to rely on steel for the track. The king of that track was Cornelius Vanderbilt, also known as Commodore Vanderbilt. He was an American shipping and railroad magnate who acquired a personal fortune of more than $500 million. But he wasn't an inventor as much as he was a manager. He quit school and bought a boat in 1810, and using that boat to ferry passengers between Staten Island and New York City, his operation grew rapidly through the War of 1812, the Age of Jackson, all the way up until the dawn of the Civil War. But by the 1850s, he had turned his attention to those railroads, buying up so much stock in New York and Harlem railroads that he created what were called trunk lines. These are central lines that would consolidate traffic into one specific area. In fact, he's often credited with bringing much success to the Union victory in the Civil War because those trunk lines could be cut off, giving the South a great disadvantage. But as he continued to move through life, he added on the Lakeshore and Michigan Southern Railroads and was finally able to offer the first nonstop rail service from New York City to Chicago. Everything in the Gilded Age is big. Big business gave way to big cities, which gave way to big government. All three of those combined did give way to big corruption, but in the end, it gave way to big changes. Vanderbilt, part of the who's who during the Gilded Age, while completing our most acronym, is sharing the stage with three others who begin the acronym. For money, we've got J. Pierpont Morgan. For oil, we have John D. Rockefeller. And for steel, we have Andrew Carnegie. These three men will help shape new attitudes towards wealth in the United States. We'll also unpack the role of the government and how they should interact with private industry 
And what is the role of these wealthy individuals? We'll unpack that through the social gospel. As we continue this series on the Gilded Age, we'll also look at organized labor, how it provided a great upheaval, but changes that are still impacting our society today. We'll also look at the growth of American socialism through Eugene Debs. We'll look at the life in American cities, the underside of urban life through photography. And in the midst of all of this, we have a rush of immigrants from Europe in the East, Asia in the West, Native Americans being pigeon-held into smaller and smaller reservations, and westward expansion. All while the United States is ignoring that most quiet story, a continued divide in the Deep South. And that does it for this edition of Print the Legend. I'm Mr. Nasosi, and I'm so glad you took time to make this journey with me today, and I warmly welcome you back next time while we unpack the stories that made up America and the stories that America made up.